Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us today. If you're new, my name's Chad. Welcome. It looks like we have a great crowd here in person. This is an awesome crowd, but I know we have people worshiping with us in our modern hymn service as well as online. I just looked, and we've got Kathy from Texas who's joining us online, Teresa and Michael who are traveling back from Florida. Hopefully they're listening and not watching, and also Trinity and Cole from right here in Owasso. So if you would put your hands together, welcome in all of our online family that's joining us here today. So glad to have all you guys. And last week, we kicked off a new teaching series called Reclaimed, and I'm excited to jump into week two. But before we do that, we're going to hit pause because we're going to have a little family moment here together. We're going to celebrate as a family because God has been doing some incredible stuff in our midst. And if you're new, in November of 2021, we as a church family launched a courageous journey in order to better carry out God's mission throughout the 918 and beyond. And we called this journey unstoppable because in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that he is building. And so we were looking at our world around us and seeing how chaotic and crazy things were, how dark at times things are. And we said, you know what? Jesus' mission is unstoppable. No matter what we're facing in the world around us, Jesus is greater. And when the world is at its worst, it needs the church at its best. And so we decided that we were going to challenge our church family to get engaged in the mission of Jesus like never before. And so what we asked you guys to do was to take our current operating budget and try to double that. That was part of that engagement. We encourage you to engage in all areas, but one way that we want you to get engaged was to double our current operating budget so that we could do more ministry here in this place, more ministry throughout the 918, more ministry as we help and support uh, both local and global mission partners, and also so that we could build a new First Kids facility. Because if you've been upstairs in our First Kids area, our kids ministry is exploding. We are out of space. That area was never meant to be a children's area. We've adapted to make it work, but still we are busting at the seams. And that is an awesome problem to have as we have more and more new families coming to our church as we raise up a new generation that is excited for Jesus. So that's all that construction you see going on out front as we build a new First Kids building. And so what we said was we looked last year, last November at our operating budget. And we, we saw that if we kept our operating budget the same, then over the next two years, we would collect, bring in $5 million to use for God's kingdom if we kept our operating budget the same. So that's $2.5 million annually, uh, $2.5 million a year, $5 million over a two-year period starting back in last November. So what we challenged our church to do was to commit to doubling that. And last Commitment Sunday, that was back in November, a year ago, last Commitment Sunday, we were able to uh, collect, or actually not collect, we committed to collecting over the next two years $10.1 million. So we more than doubled our operating budget in commitments. And that was just awesome and great. And we were so excited about that. Uh, and we had over the past year, 683 individuals or families in our church commit to our unstoppable initiative, which is just, again, so cool to see our church involved like that and excited about what God is doing in this place. And so a lot of people want to know where we are right now. I mean, this is now November of 2022, so we're a year into this. So where are we right now? And so if we 
brought in the 10.1 million like we committed to bringing in um, over this past year. As of last Sunday, this is where we should be. We should have uh, collected 4.4 million dollars in order to use for God's kingdom just in the past year. This is where we should be right now as of this Sunday. And as of this Sunday, this is where we are as a church. Are you ready? 5.1 million and change. Yeah. And guys, we give God all the credit for this because this is happening in the midst of economic uncertainty. This is happening in the midst of a very dark culture that we're living in. I mean, things are crazy and chaotic. And yet, God is allowing us to be a light in the midst of the darkness. And so, now that we're one year into it, we decided to have a refresh because, hey, we still got a year to go in order to accomplish this because the goal of this is not only to be able to do more ministry, but to build that first kid's building without having to have any debt. That's our goal, that's our hope. And so, that's only gonna happen if God is in this. And so, we had our Momentum Series a few weeks ago where we said, hey, let's commit to finishing strong. And we had another commitment Sunday for the last year, the last leg of Unstoppable. And if you weren't here on that Sunday, here's a quick video of what happened. living in one of the greatest periods of human history and now is a time for us to join in the unbroken chain of people who fell so in love with Jesus that they committed their lives to a purpose that was bigger than themselves. God's call was tough but in the midst of everything that they were facing they continued to get back up and so do we because the same God who is with them is with us today and the same God that has brought us to this moment in time will see us through. He is still on the move. He is still alive and he is giving us all the momentum we need to make a difference in this world yeah you can clap for that it's great man I was fired up that day or something but anyway <laughs> it was a great day and if you're new we don't just talk about financial numbers all the time that's not really our thing but we're celebrating in this moment moment and I think it's a good witness if you're new for the first Sunday this church is invested. This church is invested in the mission of God. We believe in it. And we're willing to make sacrifices in order to reach the next generation for Jesus. And we're willing to make sacrifices in order to bring all people throughout the 918 and beyond, anybody that we can, to know Jesus as Lord. So, after our Commitment Sunday just a couple weeks ago, we had 77 new families or individuals commit to Unstoppable. That is just incredible to have all those new families, individuals commit. And with our new commitments, either those who are new or those who maybe extended their commitment a little bit more, we were able to add to our projected total $483,353. So this is where we were, if you wanna put up our numbers here, this is where we were as of our last Commitment Sunday in November of 2021. If we go on to the next slide there, there we go. We were at 10.1 million, and now after our last Commitment Sunday that we just had, we're now at 10.6 million and change that our church has committed to bring in over a two-year period. So we've already got you know five million of that done for the first year, but this is total two years 
years to bring in this amount of money so that we can continue to advance God's mission here at First Church. And I just wanna let you know how grateful I am for this church. I would not wanna be a part of any other church family. My family moved here five years ago and we knew God was in this, but we had no idea how much we would fall in love with this church, fall in love with this family here, because this is a family who truly believes in making sacrifices in order to do what God is calling us to do. And every time I think about our church family, I think of verses like this one. I mentioned it last week, but I wanna mention it again. This is God's work. We rub our eyes, we can hardly believe it. God is at work in this place. His spirit is moving, and this is a church that is catching the wind. And we are moving where he wants for us to move because we know we are not here to waste time or buy time or sit on time. We are here, as Paul says, to make the most of our time because the days are evil. Yes, the days are evil. Yes, we see darkness all around us. Yes, at times this world can be a discouraging place to live, but that's why we're here in the midst of these evil days. We are to make the most of our time. So thank you, First Church. I love you guys. And this verse is a good segue into what we're gonna be talking about in the sermon today as we continue in week two of our series, Reclaim. Because as we look at this verse, that phrase, make the most, is actually a Greek word, one single Greek word, and it means to redeem or to reclaim. It's actually a financial term. It means to reclaim something from someone else by paying a price, by making a payment. So if we go back to that verse that I just read from Ephesians, make the most of your time. Some translations say redeem the time, but we could very easily translate that reclaim your time because the days are evil. See, God is calling us, his church, his people, to not just sit around, but to reclaim the world around us for the sake of Jesus Christ. We are here to reclaim God's creation, reclaim people's lives from the dominion of darkness. And that's what Jesus is all about. Jesus came to reclaim us. And if we look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18, it says, you were redeemed. Speaking to us, we were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We were redeemed from our empty way of life. And by Peter letting us know that the way of life of this world, the way of life that's been handed down to us from our ancestors is empty, he's saying the life that we get from this world, the life that the culture offers us isn't the life that God intended us to live. The life that's handed down to us, this cookie cutter existence that the world has given us, it's a life that's been corrupted, a life that's been tarnished by sin, a life that is in pieces that's been broken by sin. And if that's you, if that's how you feel right now, you're not alone because life lived apart from God always falls apart. That's what the Bible teaches us. Life lived apart from God always, always falls apart. But there's good news because even though we may feel like our life is in pieces, Jesus came to put us back together again. I'm a big football fan, big sports fan in general, as you guys know, and some of you guys may remember this from a few years ago, a couple years ago. In 2020, the Wisconsin Badgers, any Wisconsin fans, anybody? Hey, let me hear you. No, just raise your hands. Let me hear you. Are you there? 
Okay, they just, they don't want to shout. They raise their hands. If you're online, they're in here. Okay, I promise. But anyway, the Wisconsin Badgers in 2020 uh, beat Wake Forest in their bowl game. And so they got their bowl game trophy. Here's a picture of the team with the trophy celebrating after the win. Great win. But then the team decided to celebrate a little bit more in the locker room. And it didn't go so well. Take a look at this clip right here. Yeah, they shattered the trophy, and so you can see it right there in pieces. They tried to put the base back. I guess that guy's trying to put it back together. I don't know, but I don't think it's going to work. And you can tell they're really upset. And in case you missed it, here's another video that one of the players took, and you can see it shattering air. Oh, man, yeah. So they broke the trophy, and what was interesting was... As I was looking that video back up this week, I found a quote by one of the players on the team that season, and he said, yeah, we were having a lot of fun until we broke the trophy, and I'm like, yeah, I bet you probably were. And as I heard that statement, it reminded me of a quote that I've heard numerous times. I've said it before, and it's this, sin's a lot of fun until it's not. Sin's a whole lot of fun until it's not. It was a whole lot of fun until I got caught. It was a whole lot of fun until my spouse left me. It was a whole lot of fun until my kids found out. It was a whole lot of fun until I had to go to court. It was a whole lot of fun until I lost all my friends. It was a whole lot of fun until it wasn't. Sin's a lot of fun until you have to pay the consequences for your sin. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, it says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death, it leads to destruction. I love how the message paraphrases this verse. It says, there's a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again, sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. And maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe your heart is broken, maybe your life feels shattered because of sin, maybe sin you committed, maybe a sin that's been committed against you, but maybe your life feels broken and shattered right now. And if that's you, you're not alone. We've all been broken by sin. We are a broken people. But the difference between us and the rest of the world that doesn't know Jesus is that we know Jesus came to reclaim us from our brokenness. And so because of that, we know he is making us new again. Last week I mentioned this form of restoration of pottery, which is known as kintsugi. It's an ancient Japanese form of pottery. If you wanna put the picture up there, this is what they do. They will actually take a broken piece of pottery and they will put it back together and fill in the cracks using expensive things like gold or silver. And by the time that they're finished restoring this piece of pottery, putting the pieces back together, the finished product is worth more than the original piece. And I actually was able this week to come in contact with a piece of kintsugi uh, pottery. And you can see here, it's a small piece. These things are real expensive, by the way. But you can see here the gold lining where they have put this back together again. And it's really cool and it's really beautiful. But what I love about it is this is worth more than what it was worth prior to it being broken. And yet you can see all the flaws and all the cracks. You can see all the scars that are left behind. And this is such an image of what Jesus has done for us. 
Jesus has taken us and put us back together and he looks at us with all of our scars and all of the mistakes that we've made and says, I still love you. I still see value in you. You are worth everything to me. You are worth so much that he was willing to die for you. And that's why I said last Sunday, we are a Kintsugi kind of church because we are people who are broken but who are being put back together by Jesus. We don't claim to be perfect here. We don't claim to never mess up. And if you're looking for a church that doesn't have broken people, then you need to move on to another place because we're not that place. And I don't claim to be perfect. I make my mistakes and so do you. But we are people who are being put back together by the hands of the only one who can put us back together. And that is Jesus. But here's the thing. Since we now know that we are those who are being reclaimed by Jesus, we have responsibility because the Bible lets us know that the church, that the church is actually Jesus' chosen instrument to reclaim the world. See, Jesus came to reclaim the world, but his chosen instrument for doing it it's us, it's you and me. When you see that word church, don't think of you know like a building. I'm talking about the people of God. We are his chosen instrument for reclaiming the world. And that's why we get verses like we read earlier from Ephesians that says that we, Paul's writing to the church, God's people here, are to make the most of our time. We are to reclaim our time, this day and age that we are living in right now. That's our calling. Yes, the days are evil, but that's when the church comes to play. That's why we're here. And that's the very point that Jesus is going to make in Luke chapter 19. So if you, if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me, Luke chapter 19. And we're going to be kind of in the middle of Luke chapter 19, but I need to give you a little bit of context of what's going on before we get there. See, at the beginning of chapter 19, Jesus has this really cool encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. You may have heard of him before. Zacchaeus was a broken man. Zacchaeus was known for being a corrupt tax collector. He had cheated people for years. He had embezzled money. He had stolen things from people. He was a corrupt tax collector. He had become very, very wealthy and rich and influential. He was the chief tax collector of the area. And he thought that money and prestige and power would fulfill him and satisfy him, but it didn't. He still felt empty. This way of life that he had inherited, this way of life that he was living, it was an empty way of life, as Peter talked about. And so Zacchaeus hears that this Jesus guy is coming to town, and he's heard some stuff about Jesus, like he might be a prophet sent from God, maybe even the Messiah. And Zacchaeus wonders if Jesus can offer him what he's looking for, could fill this void deep within him. But even though Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, I'm not sure if Zacchaeus was ready for Jesus to see him. Because Zacchaeus knew he was a flawed, broken man. And could somebody sent from God have anything to do with somebody like him? See, I think that's why Zacchaeus climbed up in that tree to see Jesus. Jesus passed by one day. There were crowds everywhere. Zacchaeus wanted to see him, and he was a short man. And I used to assume that Zacchaeus climbed up in that tree just because he was short. I think that's part of it, but that's not the only answer. Remember, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and people feared tax collectors. Tax collectors had Roman soldiers at their beck and call. If Zacchaeus wanted a meeting with Jesus, all he had to do was order the Roman soldiers to part the crowds and bring Jesus to him. He could have had a meeting with Jesus if he wanted one. But again, I think he was a little bit afraid that Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with somebody like him. 
But Jesus takes away all of Zacchaeus's fears. And listen to what happens in Luke 19, verse 5. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, the spot where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, he calls him out by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. What does Jesus do? Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name to let him know, I came for you, Zacchaeus. I love you, Zacchaeus. I'm here for people like you. And I'm gonna go spend time at your house today. And so Jesus does. And Zacchaeus is forever, forever changed. Zacchaeus says, I'm gonna stop cheating people. He gives up, he gives half of his wealth to the poor. And then he says, if I cheated anybody, I'm gonna pay him back with interest. Zacchaeus is totally changed, completely changed by Jesus. And as everybody around that day was witnessing this change take place in Zacchaeus' life, Jesus uses this as a teachable moment. And Jesus makes this famous statement. You've probably heard it before, but maybe you didn't know what happened right here in Zacchaeus' home. <laughs> Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. In other words, Jesus came to rescue, to redeem, to reclaim what darkness had stolen. I love that. And then we typically end the story there and say, hey, that's a great story. Yeah, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But honestly, the story doesn't end there. In fact, if you have a Bible like mine and you're following along, if you look at chapter 19, I don't know if you can see this, what camera I'm on, that one. I don't know if you can see this or not, but you know, here's chapter 19, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. That's the heading that the NIV translators give it. And then we read on down, we get to verse 10, and then there's another chapter heading, the parable of the minas. And then we get in chapter 11 as if this is a new section. This is a different scene, but it's not. In fact, the whole reason why Jesus tells this next parable is in response to what he's just said in regard to Zacchaeus, look at what it says here, verse 11. While they were listening to this, Jesus explaining what he came to do on the same day that Zacchaeus was changed by Jesus, and as everybody is listening to Jesus, it says, while they were listening to this, same scene here, Jesus went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So basically the people get real excited because Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost and the people who are broken themselves and realize how empty their lives are are thinking, hey, if Jesus came to save a corrupt tax collector like Zacchaeus, then that means he can save me too. They're getting excited about this and they're so excited that they think that Jesus is gonna force his kingdom to come into this world right then and there. I mean, they're pumped, they're excited, they're ready for Jesus to come with all this military mind and take over the world and make everybody be followers of God. That's what they're ready to see happen. And Jesus pumps the brake just a little bit. And he says, no, 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 no. I am going to reclaim everything. But God's plan to do that is a little different than what you are anticipating. In order to explain how Jesus is going to reclaim the world, reclaim people's lives, he tells a parable. And in this series right now, Reclaim, we're looking at different parables that Jesus told because these parables reveal God's plan for the world. And remember what I said last week, a parable is a story that Jesus told that had familiar imagery to the people, but then he uses this familiar imagery to teach an unfamiliar truth. 
I said last week that a parable kind of operates like this. It starts like a picture on the wall that we're familiar with, a picture that we've seen before. We recognize things in that picture, but then it transforms to a mirror because we start to see ourselves in the story the more we read it, and then eventually the mirror changes to an open window where we see God's view for the world. That's how a parable works. starts with something familiar. We see ourselves in it, and then we see God's plan for our lives, God's plan for the world. And so Jesus tells us this parable. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Minas, not yours. Minas. Put this money, bad joke, I know, sorry. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So what's going on here? This actually would have been familiar imagery to the people. Because you see, in this day and age, Rome ruled, ruled the world. In Rome, they would come into a smaller kingdom or territory that was run by some noble family, and they would take it over. But Rome allowed for the existing leadership of a certain territory that they had just conquered to remain in leadership if they were up to it. And so what would happen is Rome would come in and take over a new territory or a small little kingdom or area or whatever, and then those people who had been ruling over that area would have to then go to Rome and basically say, make their case for why they deserve to remain in leadership there. And if Rome agreed, they would basically appoint them to be like the governors over those areas that had been conquered. So they would keep their old titles. That's why when Jesus was born, we hear about King Herod. Well, King Herod technically wasn't a king anymore. He basically was a governor of that area or some type of government ruler over that area because, remember, King Herod was still under the authority of the Roman emperor. But they allowed for them to keep their titles if they made their case for why they should remain in leadership. So the people listening to this parable This was familiar language, and Jesus says there's this guy, this person of noble birth in a certain area who leaves to go see if he can be appointed king. In other words, he's going to Rome to see if Rome's going to let him stay in power and continue to rule over this area. But while he's gone, while he's away, this this man of noble birth calls together some of his uh, servants, his trusted servants, and he says, I'm going to give each of you a mina. Now, a mina, I know I joked about it, but a mina was actually a measurement of weight. It was a financial term, and so they would measure their money, gold and silver, during this day and age. And a mina was worth about four months' wages. That's how much it was worth. So this man of noble birth calls together ten of his trusted servants, and he gives them each a mina, about four months' wages. And he says to them, go invest it. Go put it to work while I'm gone. Now, why does he do this? Well, because in this day and age, while he was away, which could, he could be gone for months and months, while he was away, well, he wanted his economy in that area to keep growing, but also more money, more power. I mean, he knew that the more wealthy he became, the more he was positioned to stay in power. So he wanted his servants to continue to put his money to work while he was gone. And this is an illustration for what God expects from us. Now, God doesn't need to keep, you know, like a worldly economy going, or God doesn't need more power. He is all-powerful, so don't misunderstand me. The illustration breaks down a little bit, but it's the main theme that Jesus wants us to get here. The theme is God is a multiplier. God expects 
for us to be multiplying what he has given to us. Because God is never satisfied with the status quo. As long as there is sin in this world, God is not satisfied with the status quo. And he wants to reclaim as many lives as he possibly can. That's why we get verses like this in 2 Peter when it says, the Lord is not slow to keep his promise. He is not slow in the way some people understand it. Instead, he is patient with you, patient with us, not wanting anyone to be destroyed. Instead, he wants all people to turn away from their sins. In other words, the whole reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he still wants more people to be saved. He still wants more people to come to know him, more people to have their lives reclaimed. God's a multiplier. And in God's infinite wisdom, God has decided that the best way to reclaim lives it's through us, those who have already been saved. The best way to save the world is for us, you and me, to take the life that he has multiplied in us and multiply it in others. We are essential to his plan. Now, this message is so important to Jesus that Jesus doesn't tell it just once. He tells this parable twice. He tells it once here. We call it the parable of the minus. But then he also tells it six days later. See, he's on his way to Jerusalem, but once he gets to Jerusalem, remember he's going to Jerusalem to pay the price of our sins. Once he gets to Jerusalem, he tells this parable again, but he changes some of the details. See, in this parable that we've been reading, he uses the term minus, which was four months' wages. But in the next time, that he, the next time he tells it, he will use a different amount of money. He will use talents. And you might be more familiar with the time that Jesus told this parable and he used talents. That's the one we typically preach on for some reason. And a talent was a lot more money than a mina. A talent was about 20 years wages. So there's a big difference between four months wages and 20 years. Four months wages is a significant amount of money, but for a rich man, you know, it's not gonna break him or anything. 20 years wages, that's a whole lot more money. So why does Jesus tell this parable, this story twice, and it's the same theme, same basic outcome, but he changes the amount of money? I think he's trying to teach us something. It's not what you have been given that matters, but it's what you do with what you've been given. It's not the amount that you've been given, but it's what you do with what you've been given. See, sometimes I hear people say, you know, I just don't have what other people have. I don't have the resources, I don't have the money, I don't have the talents, I don't have the gifts, I don't have what other people have. It's not the amount that you've been given. It's what you do with what you've been given. Whether it's a whole lot or very little, Everything you have belongs to God and he's given you something in order to use for his kingdom. You have been given something that he intends for you to use and he will empower you to use it to multiply his kingdom work on earth. Now, what's interesting to me is Jesus asks us to do this in the midst of a world that's hostile to him. And he lets us know this as we read on in the passages. But his subjects, this is the king who's away, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So what's going on here? 
The subjects are different from the servants. The servants were those that the king entrusted with the minas. The subjects are the people who live in the land that weren't entrusted with anything. They're just people that live in the territory and still under the king's reign. So if you want to think of it like this, we are the servants because we are those that God has entrusted his plan to because we're part of his people, the church. But there's a whole lot of other people on the earth who are not part of his church yet, but technically are still under the reign of God, right? God's overall. And what Jesus here is saying is we live in a world that's hostile to him. We live in a world where the majority doesn't want Jesus to be their king. They want to rule over their own lives. The majority doesn't want Jesus as their king. We don't want this man to be our king, this delegation said. But here's the thing. Jesus is going to be king whether people want it or not. And that's what the next verse says. It says, he was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money, the minus, in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. I brought back 10 times what you gave me. Well done, my good servant, the king said, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities. I'm gonna give you more responsibility. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Others, good job. You know, one brought back more than the other. The master isn't upset that one brought back more than the other. He's just happy that they multiply it because God is a God of multiplication. He's excited. And guys, the fact that God entrusts us with his plan is something that, well, I just think it's a huge deal because we're broken, messed up people, and yet God is entrusting us, broken people, to go out and save a broken world with the message of his son. That is just beyond me. That's crazy to think about, but it's awesome. It's awesome to think about this truth that I have something to give, that God believes that I have something to give. And here's the thing. He believes the same thing about you. Can you say those words with me out loud? Can we say that together? Here we go. I have something to give. There's somebody listening to this message that who needs to hear that. You may not think you have much to give, but God has given you something to give that can make a difference in this world. Your life matters to him, and he has high expectations for you. But here's the thing. We find out about one more servant. He gave minus to 10 servants. We don't find out about the other seven. We don't know what they did, but we find out about three of them. We find out about this third servant here. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. Ooh, that's harsh, Jesus. You knew, did you? Now, I think that's interesting, did you? I think Jesus here is wondering if this servant really believed what he just said. I'll talk about that here in a second. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. And he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, who does nothing with what I gave him, even what he has will be taken away. 
So what's going on here? This guy says, hey, I thought you were a hard man and I was worried that you know I would get in trouble so I just hid your mina away. I put it in a piece of cloth, I kept it safe and here it is, here's your mina just as you gave it to me. And the reason why I wonder if that servant really believed that is because if it's true that this man believed that his master was a harsh, hard man who would punish him if he didn't do what he said, why didn't he do what he said, you know? What's this guy doing here? He's just making excuses. He's making excuses for why he didn't invest what the master gave him. And we have a tendency sometimes to make excuses rather than take responsibility. Man, I've heard some humdinger of excuses in the church before <laughs> of why people aren't doing what they know they should be doing. I've got little kids. I will tell my kids 15 times to do something, sometimes 150 times to do something. And when they don't do it and I call them on it, they always have an excuse and they think it's a good excuse. But me as dad, I'm looking at them thinking, not a good excuse. You still should have done it. And sometimes I think God looks at us and says, your excuses are so weak. You know what you were supposed to do. Why didn't you do it? You know, and also when you think about it, I mean, what this guy did wasn't really that bad, right? I mean, it could have been worse. I mean, if you were reading this for the first time, you might have fully expected this last servant to say, hey, I, I wasted all your money. I blew it. You know, I gambled it away or I spent it on, you know, drugs and women or something like that. You know, I, I'm sorry. I embezzled it. I stole it. I lost it. Whatever. Could have been a lot worse, right? But he comes back and says, I just didn't do anything with it. I mean, what's the big deal? He didn't do anything. That's the point. He didn't do anything. And what Jesus is saying is the stakes are too high for us to do nothing. Because people's lives, their eternity is at stake. We are living in a world full of people who are destined for hell. Yes, this church does believe in hell. And here's the thing. God doesn't want anybody to perish. But those who don't know Jesus will. And the stakes are too high for us to do nothing. There's too much at stake to just sit back and hide our talent, hide what God has given to us. See, we are his chosen instrument to go out and take risk in order to save people for the sake of Jesus. In some churches, especially in this current environment, they are tempted to play it safe and make excuses. And what if we did that? What if we were a church that just said, you know, we're not going to take any risk. We're just going to play it safe and we're just going to do nothing. Well, maybe I should ask you guys that question. Maybe I should ask the family who was falling apart because of sin. But God used our church to rally around them and support them. And now they are experiencing healing together as a family. Maybe I should ask the couple whose marriage was falling apart. But their small group in this church was used by God to hold them accountable and to help them find the counseling and the help that they needed. Maybe I should ask the guy who was struggling with addiction and someone in our church, God used that person to come and say, hey, I've been there with you. I'll walk alongside you. I'll be there with you along the way. And now that person is walking away from his addiction. Maybe I need to ask the grandparents who were worried about their grandchild because they were, that grandchild was getting ready 
to make a lot of wrong decisions. They were in their teenage years, they were getting ready to go wild, but our student ministry rallied around that teenager and helped them see what they needed to see. Guys, the stakes are too high for us to do nothing. And I am so, so excited to be part of a church that refuses to do nothing. We are not a do-nothing church because we know that the lives that are at stake are worth everything. And doing nothing doesn't keep you safe. It just keeps you the same. And our world is too broken for it to be left as it is. It's too broken for us to just keep the status quo and play it safe and keep things the same. And here's what we need to remember. It's really not a sacrifice when we give what God has given to us for the sake of his kingdom because it's not yours to hide anyway. What you have isn't yours to hide. I have with me up here a gift card to Walmart. And let me just pretend like this gift card has $200 on it. It doesn't, don't come try to get it. But let's just pretend like it had $200 on it, okay? And somebody walked up to me and gave this to me after service today. And they said, Chad, I got this gift card for somebody in need. I want you, if you over the next couple weeks hear of a family that's in need, because times are hard right now, if you hear of a family who needs it, give them this gift card. Don't tell them who it's from. Just say Jesus loves them and our church loves them and give them this card. Sometimes things like that actually happen and it's really cool when those things happen. And what if I got this card for this individual and said, oh yeah, thank you, this is great. And then I looked at it and started to think, okay, now who can I give this to? And I thought, you know what? The bad economy is affecting my family too. You know, groceries are higher for my family too. I mean, we're not doing everything we used to do because of the economy right now. And, you know, my kids need to eat and they need new shoes and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I think my family is that family in need. I'm just going to use it on me. Now, let me ask you, does anybody today think that that would be stealing? Would anybody classify that as stealing? I would. You know why? You think, how's it stealing? I mean, he gave it to you. Yeah, but it wasn't mine. He gave it to me to use, but it wasn't mine. It was his. And today, I just want to let you know, the house you have, the car you drive, the job you have, your family, what's in your bank account, your investments, everything that you have belongs to him. And he wants you to enjoy it, don't misunderstand me. But he also wants you to use it so that other people can experience his joy. That's why we're here. Make the most of our time, reclaim the time, because the days are evil. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word and study it. And I pray that we will be those who go out and reclaim our time for the sake of your son. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.